Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations about all things, including the topics you are too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Hula Ramos, and joining me today is my old friend, Linda Schwartz. How are you doing today, Linda? I'm fantastic, and I have missed you so much. I know I say that every single time, but I always have so much fun when we're together, and I miss you all the time, and I'm so glad to be here. I miss you too. And I definitely love when you're on the show with me because I feel like we can relate as new parents. And speaking of which, how are you? How is the new parenting going with you? It's fantastic. I love being a mom and Huxley's doing great. He's thriving. Um, he's really into frisbee throwing right now. Like my ah. husband, my husband taught him how to throw a frisbee about a week ago. And he has Aww. been literally obsessed with it morning, noon, and night for the last week. So he's getting really good at it. Oh, good, good. Well, the, uh, you know what? I'm going to be leaning on you a little bit today because um, I actually received my second dose of the vaccination. So if I start to go a little loopy, it's because <laughs> uh, my brain is kind of a little scrambled right now. I'll be really honest with you, but well worth it for sure. Definitely. All good. My brain is always scrambled. So you know, <laughs> being, a, <laughs> being a new mom, that's just like daily life. So I, I got you. Don't even worry okay. about it. Perfect. We are going to go a little serious, though, because on today's show, we're going to be talking with Dr. Tao Ha. She's a professor and department chair of sociology at Miracosta College. She's a filmmaker and so much more. Please welcome Dr. Tao Ha. How are you doing, Dr. Tao Ha? I'm all right. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I, I love the energy that I'm hearing from uh, you and Linda. Um, and although we'll be talking about some serious things, I'm absolutely looking forward to it. So thank you for having me. No, we definitely appreciate you being here. And yes, even though the topic we're going to bring up is is more on the serious side, you know, we definitely are going to do it in a way that a lot of people can relate with. And, and let's just start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I am um, a Vietnamese refugee. I was uh, born in Vietnam and came to the U.S. Uh, on the fall of Saigon, so April 30th, 1975. My family uh, moved around the country a few times, and we settled in Houston, Texas in 1978. Um, I grew up in, in Houston and um, you know, from a working-class family, uh, working-class neighborhood. It was very diverse. Um, and, you know, there's a history of Vietnamese Americans that's uh, somewhat missing in the narrative of our experiences, and that is um, the, the difficulties and the challenges of uh, language barriers, cultural mm -hmm. uh, differences, um, uh, working parents, um, and discrimination. So, um, I, I experienced that growing up and uh, for better or for worse, you know, I ran with some, uh, you know, some of the outcasts in, in the Vietnamese community and, and, uh, we, um, and I got caught up in the gang life. So, uh, oh. it was a, a rough, uh, time in, in high school, but I always kept my good grades. <laughs> so I almost had a double life, you know, um, and, uh, to uh, shorten the story, I ended up um, uh, uh, getting shot in a, a pool hall uh, shooting. And uh, then I also, that same year, I uh, had friends uh, get incarcerated for very, very 
long sentences. And so it was kind of this moment where I had to make a decision about the direction of my life. And by then I had also I dropped out of college. I was, it, was a, it was a difficult time for me. And so I returned to college. I decided to leave the gang life and um, I found sociology and it became my calling. And I had incredible professors who mentored me um, and uh, took me all the way to graduate school and, and my PhD. And that's where I am now. That wow. is so amazing. I, I Like you went from like hood to full <laughs> <laughs> halls to yeah, exactly. I love that story. Like I can't, so you got shot. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, we were in pool hall and uh, a fight broke out and, uh, the, the fights were common. Um, and the violence in um, our communities was very prevalent um, in the 80s and the 90s. And mm-hmm. so it was, um, a, the truth was, we were used to seeing fights. Um, we were also familiar with um, shootouts. But I, uh, you know, and that one time got caught in the middle of crossfire. And yeah, um, I took a hollow point bullet to the elbow. And it yeah. shattered my um, my arm. So, um, yeah, and, and that'll are, that'll that'll make you. <laughs> you are one that'll thug lady, girl. That is oh. that's so insane. But um, you know, what I'm really really hearing from your story is obviously the the transformation that you got out of those events in your life. And I'm sure you had to have a really deep sense of, holy crap, um, I need to do something different Mm -hmm. to get myself out of this situation. Um, And doing something so wonderful, such as, you know, this organization that you are running that are, um, that's empowering the, the, the youth. Um, can you talk a little bit about MANA? Uh, yeah, thank you so much for your kind words. Um, and I appreciate the, the, the understanding of, uh, you know, transformation and second chances and the importance of role models and people who believe in you. I, I needed that and I, I got that. And so MANA is something that I'm, um, really invested in um, on campus. I teach at a community college. And so MANA is a program uh, that um, uh, takes uh, Asian Pacific Islander students. And it's not exclusive to AAPI students, but um, the curriculum and the programming around it is designed to help AAPI students and anyone else interested in uh, curriculum and literature and, and, and cultural um, elements um, in the courses that they take. So they, they do take English courses, sociology courses, but the instructors will wrap the curriculum around AAPI authors or cultural relevance to their communities. Um, and then we have um, counselors that are designated for those students. And we have um, monthly falefonos, which are uh, uh, informal meetings where Role models will meet with the students and we talk about uh, various topics. And um, Asian Culture Media Alliance came one time to talk about careers in the media to our students. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really um, you know, heartened by uh, that program and I'm always 
excited about being a mentor and raising money for the program so that students can take college trips and scholarships and 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 those kinds of things. So that's Mana. And if anyone is interested, look up Mana at Miracosta College. Um, we welcome we welcome students of all ages. <laughs> I am just enamored by like all of the really wonderful and amazing and things that you're doing um, to help your community, especially the Viet Vote program that you put together and also the transitions program. So I know that these two things um, are really near and dear to your heart. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you're involved and what the programs are about and yeah, um, well, VitVote is a nonprofit in San Diego, and the founder is a gentleman named Jean Tran, and he recruited me uh, to help with the um, programming in, in um, civic engagement, political participation, um, and also community advocacy for young Vietnamese in, in San Diego. So I'm, I'm, you know, I really love that work. Uh, the other program uh, called Transitions is a um, program in North County Colleges. We have one at Palomar, at, Mer- at um, Cal-, Cal State San Marcos, and we're working on the creation of one at uh, Miracosta, but it's designed to help formerly incarcerated students transition to college. And so when I think about my childhood and my youth and the young folks uh, that I hung out mm-hmm. with who ended up incarcerated and spent 10, 15, 20 years behind bars and are being released, um, what are the things that they need to succeed? Um, and if they wanted to have uh, an opportunity for higher education, um, you know, what kind of support would they need? So that is another program that that I am uh, have a, a lot of investment in. That's amazing. I, I definitely love the fact that you took a situation you're going through early on in your life and making it a positive. I personally know of a lot of uh, Asian Americans who got into the gang life, quote unquote. And um, you, you're right when you said you have to live this dual life where you're perfect Asian American in front of your parents, but then in real life, you're involved in in a gang. Well, mm-hmm. I have some personal history with that too. So I have two brothers who were... Um, both incarcerated and they were also involved Mm. in the gangs and as well. So, you know, when I was, um, I have this bit in, in my set where I say, you know, um, when I was 12, I was in foster care and I also have two brothers who are in prison. And while other kids, my age were writing letters to pen pals, I was writing letters to judges. So, um, but Mm. you know, and, 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 my brother, Mike, when he was released from prison, I think he kind of went through the same thing where it's like, you know, you have this pivotal moment of just realizing this is not who I am. And I think everybody is on their own journey to figure that out. But um, shortly after he got out of prison, he really, really turned a new leaf, went back to school, um, was working full time, doing, doing all of those things to turn his life around. And I think that what your story really conveyed to me was that, you know, no matter what your circumstances are when you're young, you can make new decisions to turn your life around. And I really commend you for coming to terms with that because that's such a, I mean, that, that life can keep you 
in it for a long time because it's such a it's such a different mentality. It's a survival mentality. Absolutely. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Linda. Yeah. And and an identity that when you are incarcerated, you it it follows you. You know, we have language that calls these folks convicts and inmates and and prisoners um and if they're when they're released you know they've paid their dues uh and and so we have to um reimagine how we uh treat these individuals and how we support them so that in their um, identities they see themselves not as what they were before so that's very important i'm glad you i'm glad you raised that and thank you for sharing your story i'm i'm touched I'm touched by yours as well. I mean, I think we we have a lot in common in so many ways. When I watched the uh, the trailer for Sea Drift, I was like, "This, I, I can totally relate in so many ways to your story." I'm from the South, also, so it's like you know, <laughs> being Asian in the South is just it it, it comes with its challenges. But um, I I I really love that the message um, that you send with your life is just one of transformation and the work that you're doing and bringing forward for these, not just the youth, but these, um, you know, these, these men and women who are incarcerated, I think is, is changing a lot of, it's just changing the narrative about how um, we, we get to live our lives in the future. The future is, you know, it's a clear slate, especially when, after you've paid your dues in, in prison. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And and speaking of which, I, you know, in your, your bio, as I introduced you, I mentioned you were a filmmaker. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I would call myself an accidental filmmaker. <laughs> I'd written um, in graduate studies a chapter in a book uh, called Asian Texans. And my chapter was focused on the history of Vietnamese in Texas. And in that story, there is a particular um, uh, incident uh, that I capture uh, that happened in Sea Drift, Texas, which is which is a small coastal town um, and the majority of people there are fishermen, crabbers, and shrimp, shrimpers. Mm-hmm. Um, the influx of Vietnamese in the late 70s after the war brought some tensions to the community and ev- eventually erupted in violence, um, where a Vietnamese shrimper, or excuse me, a Vietnamese crabber shot and killed a white crabber. And after the um, uh, uh, incident, um, the KKK came to town. Uh, burned boats, um, threatened the Vietnamese families, and then it was escalated when the Vietnamese crabber was found not guilty and, uh, based on self-defense. And so the film captures uh, that story by talking to the people who were there at the time and having them tell us their thoughts and experiences as they were going through that traumatic moment in their history. Oh, Wow. Wow. And I mean, so it's, then, it's yeah. And I'm crazy. so sorry. And so a filmmaker contacted me and said, wow, I'd never heard this before. Um, I'd never seen it in an Asian American studies uh, book or, or curriculum in the classes. So then he um, said, let's make a movie. And, and so the film is called Sea Drift. You know, speaking of your film, um, you know, there's a lot of of things happening in the world today, you know, with these Asian hate crimes and that that story really centered on on that 
And what are your thoughts about what's happening right now? Yeah, um, you know, when we when I wrote the research, so the incident in Sea Drift happened in 1979. Um, when I was writing the story and doing the research, it was early, early uh, millennial, so 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, the book was published 2007, and Tim Tsai, the director, found it and started making the film in 2012. So it's been a long journey and it took seven years to make the film. So when it was being made, we didn't, couldn't have predicted the, the changes in our political scene um, when 2016 came around. And in 2019, when the film was released and going on festivals, that was one of the questions people asked. Could, did you realize that the film was going to reflect a historical time and a historical narrative that matches so much of what's going on today. And of course we did not um, predict that and we did not intend for the film to do that, but it does. Um, it reverberates um, the language of um, exclusion of certain groups, um, hatred, violence um, towards immigrants, towards refugees. Uh, the involvement of the KKK really stokes the, the conversation about white supremacy. Um, and, uh, they're, they, you know, they were terrorizing, uh, the Vietnamese, burning their trailers, burning their boats, threatening them, um, threatening to kill them. Uh, and, and so that, uh, when I see what's going on today, I, you know, my heart is, uh, breaking, but it's very angry because we are, um, we haven't seemed to make any progress and we seem to be, um, uh, for worse is what I would dare say. Yeah, I, I thoroughly agree with that. And, and, you know, for me, I, I've kind of been on a media fast, (laughs) um, Mm. for a while I've been off of Facebook and just really have been trying to stay away from the news and, and things like that, because, um, you know, with COVID and everything happening, I was finding myself a little on the sad side. So I was like, you know, I really have to get my, get my emotions back in order. And so I haven't really seen anything, so to speak, but I, you know, this is, um, this isn't the first time I've heard of this and there is a long history, you know, with, even through personal experiences, I'm sure that you can, um, can, can talk about that too. And I just don't think that right now, um, this is anything new to us, you know, and, and and I think that the, your film thoroughly reflects that, even though it happened in 1979, that sentiment is still very much alive. Yes, it is. And if we're, you know, having a conversation about what's happening today and how it's been happening um, in Houston, a, a Vietnamese teenager was um, uh, kicked to death by skinheads. This happened mm-hmm. in the 1980s. And he, w- and he was murdered and hate crimes had not been established um, at the federal level and at the prosecutorial level. So that crime um, did not have a hate crime enhancement. And so the young uh, men who, who were convicted of murder, um, you know, there could have been enha- enhancement for a hate crime, but it was not. Uh, there was another hate crime and a murder of a young uh, Vietnamese uh, teenager youth in Irvine. Um, and, uh, he was practicing tennis at the courts and, um, he was, um, beaten to death by, uh, um, 
uh, some white kids who um, uh, hurled um, racial slurs. So that was a hate crime because it was more recent. But we have those stories. And in terms of the mass shooting in Atlanta, I mean, we had our um, own school shooting um, in the 80s uh, in Stockton, California, where the gentleman, the white man who was the shooter, uh, was very open about hatred of Vietnamese. It was uh, war related. Um, and he shot up a, a, an elementary school and killed five Southeast Asian children. So we are, you know, if we are ignoring our history, we think that the things that are going on today um, are somehow um, new to us. And as Linda said, it's not. There are so many instances. Um, Vincent Chin's case is very, very popular. Uh, but but that's not the only one, unfortunately. Is there advice you would give to the youth about what is going on right now? Like, how can we really, you know, we have to discuss these things. We have to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. And and how would we approach, you know, myself, I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. And, you know, mm -hmm. how would I discuss this kind of things with my children? Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I would say is that words matter. Uh, we know that language, you know, and I'm speaking as a sociologist, language is how we transfer culture and understanding and, and how we become socialized. Um, and so when we think of stereotypes or microaggressions and we, we say that we're joking or we're just making fun, um, I think that that is a, um, that's a cop out. We, we, that is not okay. Um, and we need to select our words carefully. And if you um, hear things or you see things, you speak up. I think one of the myths about Asian Americans is that we're quiet and we're silent and we bow our heads and we do the hard work. Um, and so we have to bust through that and we have to speak up. Um, so speaking up, speaking out is a, a second thing. Do not be a bystander um, when you see an injustice. Um, those are the things I think that um, um, our children could really benefit from, from understanding and having that opportunity to empower themselves uh, to be a force uh, to be reckoned with uh, from that generation when, when they grow up and, and are up, you know, have the opportunities to speak up. What about for you, you know, growing up in Texas, how was it, how was your childhood growing up? Oh, it was rough, you know. Um, you briefly touched about it. Yeah. I, you, you, I, I, I don't think I'm um, unique when I say that uh, kids were bullies and they would call you names and tell you go back to your country. Um, there was, you know, there was this one girl that uh, she was just way bigger than me. And I remember she would come and scratch at me. She'd like claw at my arms. And one day I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I, I you know, as I get older and I learn about like, self-care and psychology of the mind and meditation, I realized that when I was younger, you either fight or flight. And I must have been born with a fight response. So I would just get into fights um, and I would fight back. Good for you, and, girl. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you got that thug heart. <laughs> I did. But, but then I realized, you know, violence begets violence. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think mm -hmm. that's the right way. And, and, and there's a, there's a way that we can manifest or transform our anger and our frustration in um, much more positive ways. Um, and, and, and that, that does take practice. So I grew up very angry. I grew up very frustrated. I grew up um, thinking that fighting was the answer and fighting back um, 
but but you know you saw where that led me and so it it's um it's something that today i hope that i can help young folks and even older folks think about how we transform our energies uh of of uh, that are negative and and but they're okay and that's the other thing to learn it is okay to not be okay it is okay to have negative emotions um no one is telling us to suppress our anger, right? But how do we use those things and transfer them into um, actions um, that are are forward thinking, progressive, and and positive, uh, making for positive outcomes? I don't want to sound stereotypical, <laughs> but growing up for me, Asian, you you suppress any mm-hmm. negative thoughts, you suppress being depressed or quote unquote airing your dirty laundry. Um, mm-hmm. but, and then it turns into things like, you know, what you've gone through going, you know, you have to have that escape somehow or be released in some way. And it, it could end up being negative. And yeah, I, I, I want you to speak louder on that because I feel like it's okay to not be okay. Thank you. I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I thoroughly agree with that. And like, you know, I, and I also really love what you said about, you know, and having those negative feelings isn't necessarily a bad thing. It really gives you a gauge within yourself on, on it, it really activates that action, you know, that anger and that resentment and all that. It, it activates some sort of transformation if you're aware of it. If you don't, if you, if you don't let it run your life, then it can be a force for good. But if you let it run your life, that's when it becomes detri- detrimental to all the things that you want to, to do, right? If you can can transform that energy and metabolize that energy into something positive and using your mind and your heart to do that towards something great, like the things that you're doing. It's just an amazing um, transformative experience within yourself because you're, you're basically navigating that negative emotion and transforming it into positive action. And I think that's what um, I heard when you shared that. So yeah, yeah, speaking I, about yeah. about you transforming and and you know Linda brought up some good points about you know using a lot of the negative energy. Can you share with us a little bit about your philanthropy work now? You know some things that you're doing now. Uh, yeah, um, well, I have a passion for philanthropy. I think that um, money is not always the answer, but it's part of the answer, <laughs> and and so. <laughs> Uh, you know, student scholarships are very uh, dear to my heart. I, I work in a community college. And the first time that I had learned about the cost of going to community college in California, I was blown away because I learned that um, $1,000 was enough to be um, a full uh, semester long tuition plus books plus fees. Um, and I thought, you know, as, as a privileged full-time working faculty, I said, I could absolutely donate that much, um, in, in, in my, in my uh, payroll deduction. And the first time, and, and the college is really great about connecting the donors to the students who receive our scholarships. And so I got a letter from the, the, the young person who got the scholarship and it just made me want to do more. So I, um, I started trying to raise more so that I could give more. And the more that you give, the more you want to give. And it just kind of, uh, 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 like you said, Linda, it metabolizes into more good energy. And so, um, yeah, I have different um, 
ways of trying to raise money. One of them is that uh, I took a hobby, which was jewelry making. Um, mm -hmm. I did it for fun at first. And then my friends would ask me to make things for them. And one girl asked me to make her whole wedding parties jewelry. And she insisted that she pay me. And so I said, hmm, okay, I'll take your money. And then I went and I donated it uh, to the, the scholarship program. So I started a jewelry company, um, put it online and started selling at like um, festivals and fairs. And, 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 you know, it was, it was, it was easy money because women love jewelry. <laughs> I love jewelry too. It's true. It is so true. And I love that. I love that you've turned, um, do you have, a website where people can make donations or can we go buy some of this jewelry somewhere? I know I love jewelry, especially <laughs> festival jewelry. So um, yeah, the website is www.tauhaa.com. And that's where you can buy the jewelry. Um, if you want to do direct donations, the Miracosta Foundation um, takes direct donations. And I currently have a um, scholarship campaign that I'm working on. Um, I had a loved one who passed away while he was incarcerated. And so this is a memorial fund for him where we are raising money uh, to create a scholarship in his name for a student who has been justice impacted. And so if you go to Miracosta Foundation and contribute to the uh, Vu Tran scholarship, memorial scholarship, uh, that would be a wonderful delight for me as well. We're trying to raise $25,000 and we're halfway there. Awesome. Absolutely. I would awesome. love to donate. I would love yeah, to donate. Yeah, same here. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll definitely make sure to put it up on our, our social media pages. Um, and of course, uh, you can get more information um, on our page as well. But you know what, Dr. Uh, Tao Ha, I appreciate you joining us today. And again, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, do you have other social media uh, pages or platforms we can get a hold of you? Yeah, um, my Instagram and Twitter handles are at Tauha PhD. Um, I'm on Clubhouse. So oh, yes. If anybody very, wants to have a conversation, good. you know, I enjoy <laughs> being in the rooms with folks. And so I'm on Clubhouse too. Well, perfect. Thank you so much again for joining us today, bringing up some great points. And to learn more about today's show, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Also, if you have any suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, make sure you subscribe to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. But for now, until next week, I'm Hula Ramos. On in behalf of my co-host, Linda Schwartz, we'd like to thank you for listening. And please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Take care until next time.